Vincent Werbeck's Derby. Today's just been an amazing day. We've had baptisms this morning and we've had some baptisms this evening. And it is such a privilege to hear people's stories. And the challenge is, as the person who then speaks when people be baptised on those services, is in one sense it's a total privilege because you get to kind of take part in all of that stuff. But in another sense, I can't really add a lot to what people have already shared about what God has done in their life. Um, but uh, we've got a few minutes together, so I'm going to try and find something. I don't know... Um, how you respond to other people. Sometimes people, um, you think you know somebody and then they surprise you. When I grew up uh, in the church in South East London, I, I kind of grew up going to the even from a little kid. And as I got older, because I've been there for a very long time, uh, I knew most of the people there. And so I kind of saw part of my role was to kind of connect people and get to know people. So it didn't matter what age they were, what stage they were. We had people of different ages and stages and backgrounds. But I would try and get to know them, talk to them, connect them with other people. And this one guy, he was quite a few years older than me, he had a teenager and he had uh, a kid who was in like the kids groups and that. And after, in coffee we would just chat and I'd, he was from a very different background to me, he was a lawyer, he was quite well to do. And one evening we were chatting about travelling and he told me he'd been to Australia and I thought, oh that's cool, I really would love to go to Australia, I've never been there. Um, so I just said to him, I said, oh you know, have you been there very much? He said, oh well actually I, I did go there for quite a while and um, it was back in 1982. I was like, okay, well, um, why did you do that? He said, well I used to, play, I used to do some sports, um, I used to do archery. I said, okay, and just to say, I'm, I'm not against archery, I'm aware that half of the University of Derby Archery Society comes to this church, so I'm not anti-archery, but I'm not particularly pro-archery either. Um, but this was what this guy did. I said, oh okay, you, did, did, you, did you do very much of that? He said, well, um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I competed at the Commonwealth Games for England. I was like, really? Oh, wow. Um, how did you do that? What, what did you do in that? He said, well, actually, I got gold. So gold, 1982 Brisbane, he got the gold medal for archery for England. And I checked it online uh, last night just to make sure he wasn't lying because um, I know what you guys are like. You'll probably go and Google and just, you know, see who did it. But it's just amazing. And I thought I knew this guy and then he completely surprised me. He dropped this bomb. People don't walk around with Commonwealth gold medals around their necks. So you don't kind of find those things out. And, you know, he wasn't a name dropper and so I had to do a mining to find it out. But I had to work out when he told me this, how do I respond to that? I was just like quite blown away. And this evening we've heard two people talking about how they have responded to Jesus. Two people sharing about they wanted to get in the water, they wanted to be baptised because they've met with Jesus. And over the next few minutes I want to go over two other people and how they have responded to Jesus. Um, if you've been around church for a long time, this story won't be new to you. A version of it, something like it, occurs in uh, each one of the Gospels. Um, and yeah, and if, you're, if you are new to church, then you may be completely new to you. But either way, it's an incredible story from the life of Jesus. And it comes from the Luke version of the story that we're going to look at tonight. And it comes just after Jesus has been doing a bunch of miracles. A guy called John the Baptist is saying... Is this Jesus the one that we're expecting? People have been accusing Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard and hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. So, 
If you have a Bible app or, uh, on your phone or if you've got a Bible with you, if you could turn to Luke chapter 7. And just to say, if you haven't got a Bible, if you don't own one, if you're here as a guest this evening, we would love to give you a Bible this evening. It'll be our gift from us to you. There are some over by the pillar. Please do feel free to go and grab one. They're, they're a gift from us to you. So you can turn to Luke chapter 7. But I just want to give us a little bit of context before we jump in. This story is about a dinner party. So kind of imagine dinner party uh, 2,000 years ago, probably a little bit different, dress code probably a little different to what we'd wear today, but dinner party nonetheless. And Jesus has him been invited to the house of a Pharisee. And a Pharisee was a kind of holy, very religious guy. They were very committed to following God, following God's law. And um, they were very well thought of by people in, in the kind of society because these guys were holy, they were trying to live good lives. But what's surprising about Pharisees is again and again in the stories of Jesus, Pharisees fall out with Jesus. They're always kind of coming up against one another and things are kicking off. But here in this story, one of the Pharisees, who we find out is called Simon, he invites Jesus to his house for a dinner party and Jesus accepts. And we find in the story Jesus is kicking back, he's relaxing, he's chilling, he's reclining and they're eating together. But in the middle of this dinner party, somebody crashes Somebody gate crashes the party. So if you could turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, and it will come up on the screen behind me as well. So it's Luke 7, verses 36 to 50. It says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. At the beginning we were talking about me responding to this guy that I met at church and he'd done something I was unaware of. And one of my favourite writers, one of my favourite Christian writers, talks about the fact there are basically three ways that we can respond to Jesus. 
And so I've got these here. A friend of mine made these. Uh, it took me a long time to convince me to make them, but uh, I finally did. And they're quite useful. If you're at the back, you may struggle to see, but um, there we go. The word is irreligion. Not a word we would use very often. In fact, probably a word you've never heard. But um, I want to explore it for a few minutes. Irreligion. The woman in this story is described as a woman who lived a sinful life. And although the text doesn't tell us, it's quite probable that she made her living through prostitution. Simon the Pharisee, he's aware of this woman's life. And therefore, her reputation must have been well known amongst the town. You see, prostitutes were not well thought of in the time of Jesus. In all kinds of ways, prostitution signified unfaithfulness, impurity, and basically running away from God. You see, this is one of the ways that we can respond to God, irreligion, living for ourselves, ignoring God. The Bible talks about it as sin sometimes, but effectively you kind of replace the word sin because that has all kinds of things attached to it. Just think, ignoring God, living for myself. Now, I'm well aware that most people who live in this way, and all of us do from time to time, We don't engage, most of us, in prostitution. And I know that many people who are prostitutes don't do it out of choice. They're trafficked into that or they do it out of something from desperation. But actually, every single one of us is capable of great evil. Phil prayed, didn't he, during the prayers about what happened two days ago on London Bridge. And I don't know what you thought about when you heard that. So often as a Christian, when these things have kicked off, and I worked in London for a long time before we moved up here, and every time things would kick off, people would say to me, Andy, you're a Christian... How can you believe in a good God when he allows stuff like that to happen? How can you believe that? It doesn't make sense to me. And do you know what? When these things happen, it breaks my heart. It it really does. But part of it doesn't surprise me. Because actually, all of us are broken. All of us are sinful. And do you know what? I know the depths of my own heart and the way that I screw up sometimes. Many years ago, there's a story about a guy who said, um, a, a newspaper, and I'm not sure it's true, but it's been quoted a lot, that did this thing, it was, and they said, I think it was like the Times, and they said, what's wrong with the world? They kind of wrote it out. And lots of people had to write back with answers about what they thought. And this one guy wrote back and he said, what's wrong with the world? I am. I'm wrong with the world. And so often it's easy to blame other people, but actually when we look into the depths of our own heart, we know that each one of us is broken, and actually often we live in an irreligious way. I don't know how many of you know the song Amazing Grace. It's probably about the only Christian song that people still know today outside of church. But Amazing Grace is, uh, is sung, it's got some kind of really quite deep lines in it. It talks about, you know, saving a wretch like me. And if you ever notice, we sing it kind of cheerfully and happily, but would you, that you even saved a wretch like me. And some of us will know the story that was written by a guy called John Newton. And John Newton was a slave trader. And then, even though he was trading in people, he came to this point in his life that he realized that God loved him and he'd been doing these things and he had to turn around, he had to repent. And God showed him grace and love. And because of that, he's like, God, you even saved a wretch like me, a man who was involved in the slave trade. And so for us, we may not be involved in prostitution or slavery, although it may be that some of us have been or whatever, But actually, we need to ask the question, are we living irreligious lives? Are we living with ourselves at the centre? Because that's one way, like the woman before the story, that's one way we can respond to God. But there's another way we can respond to God. I said there was three ways. This is another one of them. 
those of you who are at the back, it's just the word religion. We probably know what religion means, or we probably think we know what religion means. Um, very often, people, when they meet me, describe me as religious. They say, Andy, are you religious? In fact, when I met my father-in-law, he wasn't my father-in-law at the time, but when I first met him 25 years ago or something like that, um, he's not a Christian, he doesn't go to church, and apparently his first assessment of me was, he's a bit religious, isn't he? Which, um, I guess, in his mind, I was. But a lot of Christians would want to say, it's not about religion. The Christian faith is about relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. You see, religion is about us. It's about us relying on our own holiness, our own effort, our own goodness. That's religion. And I've lost count of the number of times people have said to me, Andy, this Christianity thing is fine for you, but I don't need it. I'm basically a good person. Simon the Pharisee in our story is a well-thought-of holy man. He's a Pharisee. He's trying to obey God. He thinks himself as a good person. But actually, God has a much higher standard than... You're not comparing yourself to me. If you compare yourself to me, you probably are a good person. But I'm not the standard. And not even Phil is the standard. Jesus is the standard. And compared to Jesus, every single one of us falls short. You see, Simon in the story, the religious guy, he looks at the woman and says... If Jesus knew what she was like, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's a sinner. But the thing is, that's partly true because she was a sinner. But actually, Simon is thinking that he is above the woman. And the funny thing is, Simon, it, the, the scripture says here, it talks about, it says, Simon said to himself. Now, I don't know if Simon mumbled it to himself or kind of Simon internally thought it to himself. But actually, he certainly wasn't saying it to Jesus. And so Jesus may not have heard what he said, but prophetically, Jesus then responds with a parable, showing that he's a prophet, which I think is quite funny. And Jesus, he tells this story. It's very, very short, but he tells this story about a moneylender. And one person owes him a month and a half's money, and somebody owes him a year and a half's money. But the key is, neither of them can repay. Neither of them can repay the moneylender. And so it may be that the, the Simon's debt was kind of less, and it may be that the woman's debt was more. I think that's kind of what Jesus is trying to do. So, well, actually, yeah, one debt may be more than the other, but actually neither of you can repay the moneylender. And if we end up like Simon, trying to rely on religion, our own goodness, our own effort, our own holiness, we still can never repay the debt. A few years ago, I read a book called Outliers by Mark, Malcolm Gladwell. He's a journalist. He's written lots of interesting books. I find him very uh, thoughtful. And he often has lots of stories in his books. It's kind of how he writes. And one of his books, Outliers, talks about how people become successful, how they become outliers, hence the name of the book. And he looks at sporting people and business people and education. And he says this, no one, not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, not even geniuses ever make it alone. They never make it alone. And religion says we can do it alone. But actually, all of us has a debt we can't pay. And so I want to say to us, irreligion is running from God. Religion, in a strange way, is also running from God. That's the second way we can respond. 
I said there's three ways. One of the old guys from years and years ago, back in the very early days of the church, a guy called Tertullian said this, just as Jesus was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus, is ever crucified between two errors. And I would say religion, sorry, irreligion and religion are the two errors. And so there's a third way to respond. The third way is acknowledging that we can't do it. We can run from God, we can try to kind of do it our own effort, neither of those works. And you see, the woman in the story, there's a change that happens. She comes to Jesus, she is so grateful, she, she, she gatecrashes this dinner party. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you've been in a party with lots of kind of well-to-do people. I get quite kind of... I find those situations quite difficult. I remember once I was doing pensions, and uh, it's what I used to do for a job. It's a bit boring, I know, but it's what I did for a long time, sadly. And every year we'd have a Christmas party. And the first year, I was 21 years old, and I ended up sitting, they'd put people in different places just randomly, and they sat me next to one of the partners, the founding partners of this medium-sized actuarial firm. He was kind of Oxford graduate, incredibly intelligent, very, very wealthy, and I was sitting there going, oh my goodness, what do we talk about? What do we talk about for the next hour and a half? Just very, very awkward. Now imagine if I'd been in that situation, sitting next, standing next to, sitting next to this guy who owned the firm, and into it comes this woman, and she lets down her hair, she starts crying, she starts washing my feet, she, she cracks open a bottle of Pacaraban 1 million on, the, on my feet, starts kind of like pouring it over me, that'd be really awkward. I mean, maybe you'd be fine with that, but I would find that really awkward. But Jesus doesn't seem to find it awkward. Jesus just cracks on. And actually, he, he receives that. And he says, this woman is showing me incredible love. She shows me much love because she's been forgiven much. Because she had a debt that was huge and she couldn't pay it, she recognises what she's been forgiven. And you see, irreligion is one thing, religion is another. But the third response is the gospel, it's the good news about Jesus. And the response, like the woman, is to get down on our knees and say we can't do it on our own. We need Jesus who died for us, who loves us, who made us. And that is the third response, because the other two don't work. This, I think, is quite easy to spot. I can usually spot it in my own life. If I'm kind of wandering away from God, I can usually see it. It's, it's quite easy to spot. And it may be this evening that you're sitting there thinking, do you know what, I've come to see somebody get baptised. I've come because, I don't know, I heard there was free food at the end. But actually, I know that I'm in this place. I'm running away from God. And if so, we would love to encourage you to investigate this person of Jesus who loves you and made you and died for you. But many of us, and particularly if you've been around church for a long time, we, we kind of get good at at least you know, showing that we're not in that place that much. But this, for those in church, now this can look very similar to the gospel. Because we end up living good lives, we become nice people, we become loving but there's a danger that we think we end up doing it to earn God's love. So subtle. And then we end up looking down on that person. Oh, that person leads a really, leads a really sinful life. But I'm a lot better than they are because I no longer live a sinful life. We end up being Simon the Pharisee. And so I want to finish by leaving us just with a few questions because for many of us, this will be the bigger danger. 
For some of us, we do need to think about that. For many of us, this will be our danger. And so therefore, I want to ask you, do you think that you obey and therefore you're accepted? Because that's religion. Or do you believe that you're accepted and therefore you obey? What comes first? The obedience or the acceptance? Another question. When someone criticises you, does it break you? Because actually you have to see yourself as good and, or maybe you're a perfectionist. Or, or when somebody criticises you, it may really hurt. And I want to be honest with you guys, I really struggle with this. When people criticise me, I, I find it really hard. But actually, do you, are you able to receive that and say, do you know what, there may be something in the criticism, but I know first that I'm accepted by the God who died for me, who loves me, who knows me, and therefore some of that may be true, but it's okay. That's the gospel. Again, do you end up relying on your own achievement, your own effort, your own goodness, your own holiness, and then end up just subtly maybe looking down on perhaps people who are not doing quite so well as you? Or do you instead say, do you know what? I've received from God forgiveness and love because Jesus died for me. And it was sheer grace. It was unconditional love. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And therefore I have no right to look down on anybody else. That's the question. So for us, finally, we're going to be like the woman at the beginning of the story, irreligious, living a sinful life. Are we going to be like Simon the Pharisee in the story, trying to live a good life, but ultimately basing on our own good works and our own holiness? Or are we going to be like the woman in the middle of the story who gets down on her knees, weeps, cries, breaks open the bottle of whatever you like, pours it on Jesus' feet in extravagant thankfulness and gratefulness because of what he's done for her? That's the question.